Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. I did not think that I would survive this yeah. because like I said, you'd have to see the, scan, the, the scans to, to, to make that point. Uh, but their, their ability to deal with cancer is, is advancing by leaps and bounds. He said, if you'd gotten this diagnosis in 2015, I'd have told you to go home and arrange your affairs. And he said, after in 2018, they came up with this one drug uh, immunotherapy and yeah, just this last couple of years, they've come up with the two drug cocktail that I took, which worked marvelously well in my case. Welcome to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. We're a community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research through a three-day experience of cycling and volunteering. I'm your host and chief operating officer of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an amazing community, and it's through research that we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners, the American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the Elbrands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. In July of 2019, we announced the Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology at The Ohio State University. This marked the start of an incredibly exciting new chapter for our community and our one goal. For more on immuno-oncology and to hear from two legends behind the leadership of the PIIO, listen back to episode nine titled Fighting Cancer's Force Field, featuring Dr. Zihai Lee and Dr. David Carbone. But today, we're going to travel through the story of Steve Miner, who was drawn to our community in the early days of Pelotonia. Years later, he found himself as a direct beneficiary of the research he was fundraising for, including the newly created PIIO. Listen to Steve's journey now in this episode titled, Marvelously Well. Just curious how you came to learn of Pelotonia, what sparked your interest in Pelotonia, and how'd you decide to, to join the community? I've been a avid cyclist for a long time, since the 1970s, actually. Uh, I was born without most of my left lung, and so I took up cycling as a way to keep healthy and, and to maximize what little lung power I had. And so I'd been pursuing that interest for a long time. And I heard that Lance Armstrong, who was coming to Athens, was riding to Athens in a cycling event. And I'd never heard the word Pelotonia. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know what it meant. And I was introduced to it by that event. He rode into town, I took some photographs, and I started asking what was going on, and they told me. They told me it was to raise money for the James Cancer Center. Well, I'd heard about the James before because we'd had several people treated, uh, friends of ours, some successfully, one sadly not successfully. And uh, so I was already aware of the place. Uh, my mother had died of cancer. And so I was very aware of cancer and had raised money for it in various ways before. And I thought, well, this is something I can do. I, I can ride a bike and yep. I can raise some money. I don't have any rich friends, but I could at least go around and pass the hat and see what I could raise. And the husband of the woman whose life was lost at the James 
encouraged me to do it. Uh, uh, Marvin Fletcher and another a group of people. I thought, oh, I can't do this. And another group of people said, oh, you sure you can. You could raise the money. I knew I could do 100 miles. I'd done that before, but I didn't know that I could uh, raise money. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, of course, the hardest part, right? It's intimidating for people. It is. When you see that number, it's intimidating. And I, I'm a professor. I don't have any rich friends. Uh, they're all like me. But um, you've I went got around. a lot of smart friends, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, not not well. Okay, we, we'll, we'll <laughs> go with that. Conversation. <laughs> another conversation. But uh, no, it was so he encouraged me to do it, and so did a couple of other friends. And so I did. I signed up for it, and I raised the money and rode. I was blown away by the event. Um, by the meeting beforehand, the big gathering beforehand, the speeches, the community, uh, the sense that here was a, a case where hundreds, thousands of people, this is about 4,000 riders in those days, about yep. thousands of people were all united by one thing. They were all doing one thing. And that this was a, a good thing, that, that you felt nothing but positive. You're struck, if you're a rider, by all the people who are lining the streets, holding up signs, talking about their relatives who survived or been treated, or just encouraging you to ride. Yep. And I hadn't expected that. I hadn't expected the, the sheep bells and this sort of thing. And I was hooked. But I was hooked. I've been, as I said, I've been hooked ever since. I had a problem for three years. I had a neck problem. Um, when I was 18, I fell off a cliff and damaged my neck. And it's come back to haunt me as I get older. And I couldn't ride. I couldn't ride more than like two hours at a time. And so that kept me off the bike for a while. And then one of our other friends, uh, who was a twice uh, survivor of cancer, her son contracted cancer. And I thought, well, I can't write him a letter. I, I don't want to write him a card. I don't want to say, you know, I'll do anything for you. Just let me know. I thought that the best thing I could do was ride and raise money. And so I, uh, I fixed the bike a bit. I, I put the stem up. Uh, I practiced and practiced and practiced, and I, I rode again. Um, I only made it 45 miles that time yeah. because well, the, neck, the neck pain was. Well, I was signed up for 100, but the neck pain was just so awful that I had a I had a friend riding with me, and uh, he was being very good. He's he's a super cyclist. He's done race across America. Yeah. And he was riding in front of me and telling me when I should lift my head to look for turns and that sort of thing. But I just couldn't take it after New Albany, and so we quit. But the yeah. last two years, I've done it. I've done yeah. it and uh, completed the 100 mile. You know, I know somewhere along the your uh, Palatania journey, you've started a team, yes. actually. So can you sort of talk about how, you know, the idea of starting a team and, and what that has meant to you uh, has been all about? Right. Well, of course, I, as a team leader, I've gone to these meetings, which are about you know, encouraging other teams and uh, funding ideas. And I always feel like the orphan at the party because our team is a small one. It's, it's small essentially mighty. Small two, mighty. two or three riders, uh, depends on the year, and seven volunteers. Uh, the seven volunteers are my wife's friends. And they have a group that they call the tea ladies. It meets once a week and they, they talk and that sort of thing. And so I thought, well, this is a good idea. Let's have a, a team tea ladies because three of those people have had cancer, two of them twice, wow. and they're survivors. And one of, the, one of these women, it was her son who had contracted cancer. Okay. And so I knew they would be ready volunteers, and they were. And I thought, okay, with my friend Michael, Michael Hunter, who's, as I said, done Race Across America, and with my son sometimes, um, we could do the ride. And they could 
they could be volunteers and meet us at the end. And so with, with that idea, Team Tea Ladies was born. You, you feel you're doing something instead of just saying, you know, good on you. <laughs> Take yeah. care. Give me a call if you need me. Yeah, that's uh, what we hear a lot is, is, you know, a lot of people join our community because, you know, they they don't know what to do to support yeah. someone they love and they don't want to be passive and they, they want to take some action and, you know, Pelotonia has become this way for people to take action and to do something sort of in support of someone going through, you know, a horrible cancer diagnosis. And I think that's, to me, the essence of what makes the organization so fun and so great is, you know, we are this outlet for people to take action against this horrible disease. I agree. Uh, you, you feel, you feel really small when, when it hits you or when it hits your friends. And this is a way of feeling at least you're in communion with a very large group of people. It, it, it really did. The second Pelotonia won me over for good because we, we went with um, a friend who, as I said, a twice time survivor of breast cancer. And, uh, I said, I wish my mother could see this. And she said, well, she is. What has been, you know, up until, you know, last year in your participation, like what are, what's been one of the best memories, like distinct mm-hmm. memories you've had of Pelotonia? <laughs> Other than surviving to the end, yeah. uh, which is always <laughs> a good one. Uh, no, I've, I've had some that I can get very emotional about, but uh some of the signs. Um, there was a woman handing out uh, artificial violets. I still have the violet, and I, I it's artificial, so it hasn't died. And I put it on my handlebars when I ride. And yeah, I still incredible. I still look for her when we pass that spot on the highway. I remember where she was. Yeah. I haven't seen her since. Yeah. But uh, she was going up and say, remember, remember my daughter. Yeah. For a 12-year-old. I'm certain you're not the only one with a violet, which is, I think, really, really cool. I'm certain that there's other people out there riding with that violet as well. I think one of the fascinating things about your story is, you know, here you've been participating for a decade. Right. And you've, you've ridden by people holding these signs, you know, a, a mother handing out the violet. You've ridden for friends uh, in, in honor of friends' children. Uh, and then all of a sudden that changes a little bit because, you know, you're sitting in a doctor's office at right. some point uh, earlier this year. And, and you're hearing some news that, that changes your world. I was in very good shape after last year's ride and I'd kept it up into September, October. And then I just, I had a persistent cough that just wouldn't go away. And, you know, I have a lung problem anyway. And so having coughs is not unusual for me. And they thought maybe it was pneumonia, maybe it was this or that. And it just wouldn't go away. And I started getting weaker and tired and I would, we live on a hill and walking up the hill, which I do every day, suddenly became so difficult that I'd actually get sick to my stomach. Wow. Uh, so we went into the doctors and they did an x-ray of my chest. It looked like I'd been hit by buckshot in, in my lungs. And I thought, well, that's not good news. No. And uh, then they, they said, well, this is, this is where it spread. In fact, the primary was the kidney. 
and it had spread to my lungs. And so I thought, well, this is it. It was stage four cancer. Uh, the odds aren't good of surviving it. And you looked at those, those x-rays and they really weren't very good. You know, it was an odd thing. It didn't, it didn't strike me dumb the way it does with a lot of people. For one thing, I, was, I, I, I talk for a living. But for another thing, uh, I kind of thought, well, yeah, mom died at this age and I'm not surprised. I kind of expected this to happen at some point in my life. And so I was, in a sense, mentally prepared for it. You can't entirely be, of course, but I, I was not bowled off my feet by it. Yep. it. It wasn't a happy day, but it was not uh, not the, the devastation that it might be if you really just never thought this kind of thing could happen to you. I knew where I wanted to be treated because <laughs> I yeah, had right. this connection. One of the best James. places in the world, right up the road. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, my, my wife, not only had I raised money for it and, and ridden for Pelotonia all these years, not expecting to be a customer, but uh, my wife and I had toured the facility when they opened it to team leaders. And so we had an idea of what it was and how big it was. It's like a little city. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so, you know, it's not fun to get a cancer diagnosis. And I really didn't. I thought maybe they could prolong my life and that would be about it. And who knows, maybe that will be the case because you never know, never know with cancer. But I went under, started undergoing treatments in January. And um, by, by the end of May, the scans have shown that uh, the, the cancer nodules are gone entirely from my lungs, which is remarkable. I mean, I, I asked the doctor when the x-rays came out, how many nodules did, she, did you see? And she said, multiple. Yeah. In other words, you couldn't count them. And they're gone. And the kidney tumor, the primary tumor, has shrunk by 85 to 90%. So and that's in a matter of four or five months. In four or five months. Now I've I've had other complications. The treatments gave me inflammation of the lungs, which has played havoc with my cycling. It uh, it's it makes it hard to breathe, and I already sure. have reduced capacity. So right. there's that. But my God, it's uh, you know that's that's a small price to pay for for uh, the success that I'm, I'm getting. You yeah. know, people. To show you how new the James is and to show you how effective and on top of their game these guys are, um, they said to me, one of the doctors, when I first came there, and of course they didn't know what I had. They had to sort of vector in on exactly what I had. And it's a wonderful system. I can talk about that in a minute too. But um, he said, if you'd gotten this diagnosis in 2015, I'd have told you to go home and arrange your affairs. Wow. And he said, after in 2018, they came up with this one drug immunotherapy and yeah just this last couple of years they've come up with the two drug cocktail that i took which worked marvelously well in my case you know so you described your uh you know your initial scan of of your lungs as uh, looking like you know maybe a, a shotgun shot of of tumors and nodules and you know can you talk about what it was like getting you know, a scan along the way, uh, you know, maybe this spring where it was very evident that things were clearing up um, <laughs> or, or that even, you know, your, your lungs were completely absent of nodules. What was that feeling like? Like bring us into the moment. It was marvelous. I mean, I, I don't know how to expand on the term marvelous, but it was marvelous. It, it, the, the problem was it hit at the same time. I got the scans on one day on a Thursday and I was up there at the James and this is tremendous 
uh, tremendous results saying that the, 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 the nodules aren't visible. They said, we can't measure them because they're not visible, which is yeah. a rather nice way of putting it. Um, but at the same time, I had to be admitted for four days into the hospital because of the inflammation in my lungs. So they stepped over the good news. And so I, I spent the next four days in the hospital. Um, but still, it's good news. And even if I have some problems that are related to the treatments, I'd much rather not have cancer than to, to, than to have it and have good lungs. Yep. And so um, it, was, it was like a new lease on life. And you come out of the hospital four days. I've got this good news. And I come out of the hospital after four days. And you do. It, it, it's, it's corny, but it's true. You start noticing things like birds. And I, I went for a cycle ride and I noticed that there was a dust cloud following a plow that was working in the field. And I thought, I've never noticed that before. And you, you start seeing these flash images and think, I've missed a lot of these things because I was thinking of the next thing. One of the things is the appreciation of the moment. That you know, Life is made out of moments. You're in a profession, I'm in a profession that requires you to think ahead and plan and work and, and always be thinking about the end result. And those things are important and nobody says they aren't. But also you're living in the moment. And there are so many wonderful things that are happening around you that you just don't notice because you're so focused on the next thing. And so I would say that's the biggest thing. The biggest effect for me is, is to appreciate the smell of trees or I hate humidity, but that, that quiet that humidity brings on the, the, um, the whir of a bike ride, a bike wheel. Yeah. Uh, smell of the rain, like all smell those the rain. Yeah. One of the wonderful things about being a cyclist is it's a feast for the senses, isn't it? You go out and you, 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 people think there are four seasons. There are about 20 micro seasons. And if you, if you're out and in it, you, you notice these things. And if you're reminded that you're mortal, you notice them and appreciate them differently. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it reminded me both that I was mortal and that I still had some time and should, uh, should use it. So you've been a decades long rider. Mm -hmm. You are, you know, acutely familiar with the James as this institution sort of throughout the country, uh, from a cancer research standpoint, you know, you've raised money for it and, you know, you're approaching the the hospital really from a standpoint of you're going to the James for cancer care. Right. And at some point that turned and sort of added on to through, you know, the Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology. I know. There's this thing we announced in July of 2019. My fundraising letters are all including that, I can tell you. The it, irony well, of this. It has played a role yeah. in, in a lot of ways, potentially saving your life. Yes. Yeah, it hit me. Huh. Not yeah. only was I helping the James, but I was helping the actual institute that was going to be treating me. And yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, a lot of people have said this is good karma. I think it's uh, whatever it is, it was good. So, you know, as people are out, asking for money and and right now especially it's a it's a difficult time in our society to be to be asking for money in a lot of different ways but you know what would you say to our community of, of fundraisers um you know really motivating them and you know letting them know how important fundraising is how important continued funding and um progress with things like the institute for immuno-oncology are well it's a big question uh one of the th ways I'd answer that is to say that the, the proper, at least to me, the proper 
conclusion to draw from the whole COVID mess is just how important it is to focus on health and the problems of health. That these things, we, we think we're in control, we're not, uh, but we can do a great deal to control health problems. Cancer doesn't take a holiday. It didn't, it didn't say, oh, well, COVID, we don't have to worry about this now. Um, in fact, it's more necessary now than ever, I'd have thought, because there were a lot of people who delayed their diagnosis and even treatment because of COVID. So funding, uh, also, uh, there's a lot of comorbidity from, from COVID with people who are, are cancer patients. So getting an answer to some of these things is even more vital than it ever was before. On a personal level, I'd say it, it, it works. It works marvelously well. My own doctor said it was near miraculous. And uh, the, the uh, nurse practitioner said, these are quite remarkable scans. Well, that's, that's nice. It's, it's, I like to be miraculous and everything, but um, <laughs> it's also science. And yep. it was paid for by people who raised the money for this, who did the work, who did the, who got an education, who had internships. This didn't happen because somebody waved a magic wand. And I, that's not what my doctor meant. But it happened because people like the people who donate money to this institution did it went out and did the work. And uh, for them, I owe my life to them. It's, it's so, so this isn't a small thing for me. I realize not everybody has those kind of results. And I'm sorry that that's the case. But nobody had these kind of results five years ago. Yeah. And I have now. And five years hence, I would assume that a lot more people will have it. So this is not something that is a small thing. And now that the life you save, and I'm a good illustration of this, might be your own. I wrote in this, in this fundraising event years before I had any hint that I had cancer. And I didn't ride in it because I thought, oh, someday I might get treated. I didn't expect this. Uh, this, this cancer hits you whether you, <laughs> I ate all the right foods. I, I slept right. I exercised. I, you know, I, I did all the things you're supposed to do to protect against getting cancer in the first place. So plan A failed and I got cancer. But having got it, there are now people who can treat it and they can treat it because science does advance and it only advances if we keep pushing. If you just become complacent or say, well, that's done. Uh, or, or you look at my experience and say, well, if everybody's getting good treatment, why do we need to worry? Uh, we need to worry because a lot of people don't have these good results. And if you continue to push more and more people will. You know, you uh, are a professor of history right. and uh, you know, I think one of the great things about history is how we, um, you know, take the time to learn from it and learn about it and sort of learn how moments in history pivot sort of the, the way in which we view the world and the world acts. And how has this pivoted the way you think uh, about life and sort of what you want to do with your time and how you prioritize things? Well, it's a good question. That's a question I thought a lot about. Uh, one of the wonderful benefits of the COVID period is that we have a lot of time to sit and think. Right. Um, I, I was on the verge of writing another book. In fact, I had taken a sabbatical last semester in order to complete a book that I was under contract to write. Um, the diagnosis was on January 8th. The sabbatical started on January 13th. I got virtually nothing done. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that. It, it, it does... 
as I said, it didn't it didn't uh, depress me or knock me over. But at the same time, I was it was hard to concentrate and it was hard to do the kind of focus that you need to do on a big project like this. And of course, all the libraries are shut too, which is another thing. But uh, you do reflect on what matters to you and um, what what I want to do going forward. What I want to leave as a legacy. I mean, obviously, it it it. Uh, highlights the importance of your family. I have not only a wonderful marriage, a wife of, we've been married 40 years. This wow. Year. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, it is, it is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it's been, it's been a wonderfully happy marriage. We have two uh, kids. One is 35 and one is, is 28. So they're not really kids anymore. Um, they're wonderful. They're both doing interesting things. And, um, it, it, they, they've been really supportive uh, beyond words. My daughter and my son have come to Athens. They've come with me to the James. Uh, they've sat in on, when they still could, on doctor's visits. Uh, the doctor is wonderful. He lets me do FaceTime so I can keep them involved in, in the visits after they're no longer allowed in the room. Uh, my son even, he he's a, he's lives in Washington, D.C., bought a car so that he could come and um, oh wow! Yeah. So, my daughter has flown in and out. Uh, they, they, they've. My daughter actually came, uh, created a book of, of memories of of our lives, our life together, and so it, it reinforces the importance of the people you're close to, and what matters and what doesn't matter. Um, it has been liberating in a way too, strangely enough, because uh, when you're a professor, you're involved in the squabbles at a university and uh, you know the, the various struggles over curriculum and classes and various other things all of a sudden that just doesn't matter to me anymore it was like I don't care <laughs> yeah. this is this is this is like as important as grocery shopping on, on on a week you know it's not that important yeah it has to be done but you don't have to worry about it and so that's been quite cleansing for my mind um, there's a lot of questions when, when you say, how has it turned on things? Those, those are, those are certainly things that have happened. My, my family has become more important as my friends have. I don't know what's going to be in the future. I don't know what the future holds. Not only do you have COVID, I, I'm now, I find myself, I, look, last eight months ago, I took, didn't even take aspirin. I took no medication at all. And now I'm being treated for cancer and I've, I'm in four separate risk areas for COVID. Yep. So there's that. And I just don't know what the future holds, nor does anybody else. My wife and I have talked about when I'm no longer able to cycle, which I hope is a, a long time in the future, we'll volunteer. Yeah. You know, be, be a part of it and raise money. When, when you decide to hang up the bike uh, and, and volunteer or stand, on the side of the road, you're going to be able to stand on the side of a road somewhere along the route and hold a sign that said, thank you for saving my life, which is pretty cool. I mean it. One of the most powerful aspects of Steve's story is the fact that he was a participant in Pelotonia and later became a patient who benefited from Pelotonia funded research. With over 10,000 participants in 2020, our hope is to continue to benefit so many more community members. We're thankful to Steve for taking the time to tell us about his journey, and he wanted to thank his oncologist, Dr. Edmund Folathak, and nurse practitioner Tiffany Lancaster, who, as he says, are literally saving his life. 
We're also grateful to our major funding partners who make all of this possible. The American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the Elbrands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. On the next episode of One Goal. I had no idea, even though I'd been writing with these women all summer, I didn't know their story or the specifics of their story. I didn't know some of the people in our group were survivors. So I see our Peloton continuing to grow. And the task for us, I think, is to bring the next group of women who want to be a part of this movement. There is something around Peloton that grabs you and takes hold of you, and you want to be a part of it and you want to stay a part of it. You've been listening to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. Season two will be hosted by me, cancer survivor and chief operating officer of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar, with interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team duo, Emily Smith and Gabby Blauer. Produced, mixed, and sound designed at the studios of Wessler Media by Vince Tornero. Additional mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orin Judio. Special thank you to all of our guests for being so open and willing to share their stories. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as that will help others hear these empowering journeys. If you're curious about joining the Pelotonia community and making an impact on cancer research, please see the link in the episode notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.